Welcome back to the Moms That Lead podcast. Did today's title draw you in? I think that's because, as we've discussed on past episodes, moms are particularly adept at leading in a way that inspires empathy and compassion. The fact is, that superpower is critically needed right now, which is why I'm so excited to have Sarah Odlund, the director of Doing Good Together's Big Hearted Families program, back on the podcast to talk about a blog post of hers that she recently shared titled Six Ways to Work for a More Compassionate Community. Sarah's passion lights up the room, or I guess I should say airwaves, and we talk about steps that you can take right now to develop compassion and empathy in yourselves, your workplace, your community, and your family. This was one of my favorite all-time conversations, and I know you'll enjoy it too. But first, in case you're new here, here's a little bit more about me and Moms That Lead. Are you ready to jump off the hamster wheel and finally listen to that voice inside that says you were meant for more? Are you ready to replace overwhelm with calm and clarity, self-doubt with confidence, and mom guilt with connection? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast, where we know that moms have a unique ability to be world changers, and that leadership is not about position. But instead, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. I'm Terry Schmidt, your host and leadership mentor, determined to bring you the inspiration, motivation, and practical tips to help you live your best life. I'm a corporate leader and coach turned nonprofit founder. My family's journey to completing an Ironman triathlon changed my life forever. And I want to be your friend on the journey to gain the clarity, confidence, and connection that I gained from that experience. So if you're ready to ditch mom guilt and activate your strengths, let's jump in. Welcome back, Sarah, to the Moms That Lead podcast. Uh, Very excited to have you back on. I know it's been just about a year since you were on, so a lot has happened since then. And I wanted to have you on because selfishly, I just love to talk to you and hear everything that's going on with doing good together. But also you just recently shared a blog post that you had written. And I want to dig into that because it just is so relevant. And we're doing a series on just how we can come out of the last year and a half and gain some strength or some skills as leaders as we reflect on these challenging times that we've been through. And so I think what you shared in that post and the wisdom behind it is so relevant. So I'm excited to dig into that, but I'd love to hear first, just how have you been since we last spoke? Any updates that you'd like to share? Well, thanks for having me on, Terry. It's always fun to talk to you and it's been fun to watch over the last spring, the work you do really getting back out into the community. So it's just so such a hopeful sign to have people getting back together. Updates, Doing Good Together is very excited for all of us to pivot back away from the uh, pandemic hermit mode and Mm -hmm. into rebuilding our communities and and raising our kids with the courage to to lead our communities. So there's nothing super new, just back to the back to the connection work that we've been missing. Yes. Yes, I know you did so much during the pandemic itself to maintain that and to build those connections in different ways, but I'm sure it's fun to take maybe what you did during the pandemic as well as, you know, back to the so-called normal work and combine those in a really creative and innovative way, I'm sure. 
Yeah, actually, I was just talking to a coworker about this. It's really, it was, you know, exciting to learn the skills to reach our national audience in new and different ways. We've Mm -hmm. been doing a lot of national workshops and webinars and things with audiences all over the country. So that is something we weren't even looking into doing before. And now we've gained all those skills. So it's great to reach this wider audience. And at the same time, we've repackaged or reframed some of our work so that busy families can do all of the service that we would normally have at a service fair mm-hmm. from their homes. So that, that will carry us forward too, because I know there are a lot of families like mine probably that appreciated some of the extra time at home and don't want to rush right back into being busy all the time. Mm-hmm. So having these at-home options will stick around. It's kind of nice. Definitely. Definitely. Well, excited to see where that goes. So speaking of that blog post, it was on Doing Good Together's website, obviously, um, entitled Six Ways to Work for a More Compassionate Community. And you talked about John Muth's book, Stone Soup. So before we get started into some of the ideas you shared, can you just give a quick summary of Stone Soup for those who aren't familiar with the story? Sure. I'm guessing you and a lot of your podcast listeners are really big fans of John Muth. Like I am, he is just an elegantly simple writer. So his picture books really distill everything down. And this is my very favorite version of the classic stone soup story. A lot of stone soup stories can really focus on the trickster aspect of it and the prankiness of, you know, getting these people to, to help make the soup, even though they don't want to share, which is fine and funny and kids like that. But this is such a big hearted book. And it really, I'm going to read this one page I've quote in the blog, but it really focuses on why the community doesn't want to share in the Mm -hmm. beginning and what they gain from sharing at the end of the book. So at the beginning, the three monks are headed into this community. And I love this, this part, He, he kind of backs up from those three monks. And he says, they couldn't see from so high above that the village had been through many hard times. Famine, floods, and war had made the villagers wary and untrusting of strangers. They had even become suspicious of their neighbors. The villagers worked hard, but only for themselves. They had little to do with one another. Hmm. And I wrote this blog a few years ago. That piece stood out to me. But now, Mm -hmm. after the pandemic, that, that page that we've been through so much, and it's easy to sort of cocoon we had to cocoon for a long time, but it's easy to want to stay there in that in that safe space that you've built for yourself and not open yourself up to potential the fear of the the neighbors and what's out there. So it just it's a really prescient book. It's a, it's amazing. Definitely, definitely, yeah. That that phrase of you know being even afraid of their neighbors, I think, has a, unfortunately a lot of relevance today. So. Tell us a little bit more about just kind of if no one's familiar with the classic tale at all, what what happened after the monks went into the village? Right. So they go into the village and they knock on some doors and nobody wants to answer. And so they ask. There's one little girl out in the courtyard. They ask if she's got a big pot because they're going to make stone soup. And she rolls out the biggest pot she can find. And she's as a child. I love that the child starts it all too, right? Mm Because they they have the curiosity to start it. So the child is very curious. She gets them this pot and she watches and they start making their stone soup. And one by one, the other villagers kind of peek out their curtains and also watch and start offering. And they start offering the odds and ends they have at home, their onions, their carrots, the little things that work together to make a really delicious soup. 
And they start to gather in the courtyard. They start to communicate. They start to remember what it feels like to celebrate. There's this moment, it's a two-page spread at the end of the book where they're all at a banquet table sharing their their meal together. Mm-hmm. And at, I haven't reread it. I'll have to reread it now that the pandemic is over, but that's going to make us all tear up because right. there's this moment where they're elbow to elbow at this table and they don't remember the last time they were all together. And wow, we've, I mean, we've all had hopefully some of those moments of reconnecting in the last little bit. And it is an overwhelming feeling of joy and peace and let's keep getting together. Mm-hmm. So it's a, the arc of the story could not be more relevant right now. That's so true. That's everyone's going to, no matter you know, how old your kids are, or even if you have kids, I think it would be definitely something to put on everyone's summer reading list. Totally. And plus it's beautiful. His watercolors are beautiful. It would make a lovely gift for anybody. That's true. I'm, I'm thinking of some ideas right now, but it's interesting. And maybe we'll speak to it a little bit later, but you mentioned the curiosity of the child and it all starting with the curiosity of the child. And I Another uh, podcast episode in this series, uh, a leader shared a quote, get curious before you get furious. <sighs> it's just, it made me think about the role in curiosity and its connection with empathy. So something I hadn't thought of before, but that might come out as we speak a little bit more today about your blog post. Yeah, I'll send you a, a piece I wrote about that too. I really, the, oh, okay. the connection between curiosity and empathy is pretty profound. Hard to remember when you're on your way to being furious. Yes. <laughs> but really important. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's something that you almost need to have a post-it note like or uh, <laughs> a bracelet or something that, absolutely. Says, that keeps, <laughs> keeps it front of mind all the time. But back to your post, you were saying, and if I can read from it, it just says, lately it feels as though we're living in a divided, divisive society full of mistrust and a growing fear of others. We've become suspicious of our neighbors. How do you think that affects the way that we as moms lead in either our workplaces, our communities, or our families? Well, suspicion is never the right place to start to build anything new. So (laughs) if we're sitting in a place of fear and a place of judgment about what we assume others are thinking and planning and wanting for our communities, we will push them away. We can't, we can't lead effectively at all. It shrinks out what we talk a lot about our circle of concern. It's very easy to share and care and be kind to the people in your immediate circle, your friends and family. And we talk all the time and doing good together about pushing that circle outward and in expanding it to, to mean all people really, and to, to really share care and concern with, with your community. When you're not trusting, when you're assuming other people are a force against you, against your community, you're not going to lead with all of those people in mind and Mm -hmm. you're going to get it wrong. We're going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. If we don't have some empathy for the people that we disagree with, the one thing the pandemic really forced us to do was shrink those circles. We, we had to, and the work of this summer, the work of this next year, I think is to, to push that boundary of who we're caring about and who we're connecting with back out to the wider world. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I, I think there might be a misconception that you can lead well within that circle of concern, even if you do have judgment or fear for others outside of that circle. But I would argue that that isn't the case. Eventually, you're going to hit a dead end. Absolutely. And you're within that circle, your actions don't stay in there, right? Yeah, every leadership decision, every decision you make as a parent 
does have effects beyond your, your immediate group. And mm-hmm. so being aware that, I mean, I'm not saying hide from conflict. You can, you can be respectful of others and still be in disagreement and engage in a vibrant civic debate. Mm-hmm. We want to live there. But if you are untrusting and, and fearful and just sort of taken out of your community, taking yourself out of that broader community, you can't lead at all because you're not engaging. Right. Very true. And something else you said struck me a little bit too, in that our circles have, you know, shrunk over the last year. It's fascinating to me, given that the pandemic was global, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a shared tough experience that almost you would think should have expanded our circles of concern, but it's an interesting fact that when you're in fear, when you're almost panicking, when you're concerned about your safety, that even though others may be having that shared experience, it it doesn't expand your circle of concern. It, it sometimes shrinks. That's so true. And if you think back to the very beginning of the pandemic, when things are really going haywire, there was kind of this give and take conversation going on in social media about, you know, we're all in this together versus they're like, well, we don't all have the same boat in the storm. Like it's, mm. it's different for everybody and, and people are weathering it differently. And that conversation, I, I think kind of summed it up. People siloed into their little spaces. And I think even as we watch the global pandemic play out and, you know, currently how I, we have to acknowledge how fortunate we are to be emerging from this when most of the world isn't yet, mm-hmm. it's still rages on. Yeah. It, it goes back to that think globally, act locally. If we can't act in our communities, if we can't engage, and if we can't overcome the mistrust and the the bickering that's going on, yeah, we, we shrink our, our, our ability to, to lead and to, to act purposefully, to move forward. Yes. Well, speaking of the shrinking circles of concern, because I know that has such a relation to empathy and and perspective taking, you highlighted some studies about the decline in empathy. Tell us a little bit more about those that you highlighted and why we should be concerned about that data as leaders and as moms. Yeah, well, the the decline in empathy has measured in several different studies, but the one that we've kind of watched is this study out of the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. They studied... I think it's entering college students, not exiting, but people coming onto campus, they've studied them for decades Mm -hmm. and empathy kind of their empathy measure kind of held steady for about 30 years. And then in the late nineties, early two thousands, it started to decline rapidly. So where, and I haven't seen an update from them. I kind of check every little bit because I really, Mm -hmm. I am fascinated by these long studies. I think they're really cool. So I'm hoping there's an update soon, but I'm really curious because the, the last study ended just before the iPhone came out. So I'm really curious about how this may have shaped us. But yeah, empathy declined during that last, that early, late 90s, early 2000s by 40%. Oh my god! It's just a massive decline. And then a more recent study studied middle schoolers and also found a double digit decline in empathy over a a very short time span when it was a pretty robust study. The research on empathy declining is both emerging and pretty profound. And also we can feel it. We're noticing Mm -hmm. the impacts that in our community, in our civic discourse, you can see it everywhere Mm -hmm. you're looking. The other thing I, I was looking at when I did this article was the, the epidemic of loneliness. And you hear, you hear people talking about that on news programs all the time, but the, the fact is Social isolation has been increasing 
for decades also. And mm. our communities are so siloed. We have, you know, our seniors are separated from our children. Our children are always scheduled in these camps and things. And so they're not interacting with the broader community and we're working all the time. So the like age groups are siloed. We're siloed by, you know, the small communities we live in aren't mixing with the broader, like I think of our little suburbs versus the Twin Cities as a whole. And then that, I know you're familiar with the Harvard study, but it's kind of fascinating. They, they interviewed thousands of parents all across the country and parents and children. So that's a huge cohort. And the parents universally said they ranked raising a caring child above success and happiness. We all want successful, happy kids also. But mm-hmm. if you had to pick parents across the board, across all demographics, hope to raise caring kids. And kids are not getting this message. Kids across the board said their parents want them to have good grades and be successful and happy. And yeah, sure, caring too. We're not getting our message across. So part of fighting this empathy decline is really helping raise children who understand what we want them to want to teach them. We Mm -hmm. want them to to be caring, contributing members of society. And we need to help them live that while they're young. So they get that message when they're older. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And see it in our actions toward them as well. I mean, obviously there's something I'm sure we're all giving lip service or speaking to being caring and kind and and that Mm -hmm. being important, but perhaps what we're rewarding or perhaps scolding about seems to be more focused on the success aspect. That's absolutely true. And it's very hard. It's one of those other things we need a bracelet about. To, it's mm-hmm. hard in the moment to remind yourself to back up a step when you're about to either praise or discipline your child and make sure that you're aligning yourself with your own values because it's easy in the moment to to pick, I, I do it all the time, to pick on these little details when I really, I, I'm, I want to praise the kindness I saw and not punish the late homework that needed to get in last week. Let's work on that. Come on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's a fine line and it's not, we won't always get it right. It's just sure. something we need to all move toward. Yes. Yes, definitely. And how do you think, you know, that decline in empathy, how does that connect to what we were talking about before with the stone soup story and the distrust that's in society and our ability to lead. Well, I think there's, there's this old, and it's, it's old now, it's like 30 years old, the book Bowling Alone. Did you ever hear of that one? And, they, you know, this, and there's many iterations now since then, but this idea that our, our communities aren't gathering the way we used to, and I don't, there's no golden age. I don't know what that used to look like. I just know mm-hmm. that When I try to gather, even now, even after the pandemic and people are kind of joyfully ready to get back together, Mm. people are so busy. It's hard Mm. to have an every month gathering of anybody because they're pulled in different athletic things and and music lessons and all the things that we love to put into our life. And that contributes to this mistrust. I just think that 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 moment, that feast at the end of Stone Soup, Mm -hmm. that's what we want to aim toward. And we want as many people at that table as we can get there. And that is something that's going to require a space on our calendar and and some planning and thought. How Mm -hmm. do we gather our communities back together? How do we empower our kids to gather their communities? Because they were also disrupted this last Mm -hmm. year. And I just think in this moment, that vision of that banquet table with our community all reassembled is what I'm keeping, keeping space for. So 
there are many ways to come at it and we're, we'll all do our own piece of it. But I think that that story of stone, stone soup should stay top of mind right now because as empathy is declining, that's one way to build it back up, to gather, to have conversations, to recognize the humanity of our neighbors. There's mm-hmm. been bickering and, and I'm in a little exurban town, like outside of the inner ring of the suburbs mm-hmm. and the Twin Cities. And the the vitriol between some people on social media has gotten so bad that people are threatening to move. When I think the real response can be and is starting to be where we're where some community groups are working on this, we just need to get back together. Mm-hmm. I think that that digital space is too easy to bicker in and we forget that we all doing the best we can for our kids. There's more in common than not. And we yes. have to actively build that banquet table back up. Yes. Well, I'm sure that what's going on in your community is not unique at all, but definitely kudos on working together as different community groups to see what can be done to build that strength back. I think leaders all over are going to be faced or, you know, charged with this time as we emerge out of the pandemic to help facilitate that connection between Mm -hmm. people so that empathy can be gained. And I think also, you know, as a leader, putting yourself in those situations to learn about others that you don't have direct experience with can make you so much of a stronger leader because you can then better understand where people are coming from and and better lead them yeah. and help them to reach their fullest potential. Absolutely. It goes back to curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. It's that if you if you can take a moment to wonder where people are coming from and be curious enough to ask, that, that's going to take us a long way into the rebuilding process. And whatever challenges our different communities are facing, I know that effective leaders, we, I, I can't leave the whole community. I'm mm-hmm. just, I've, I'm a one parent and I'm pulled in lots of directions, but I can do my piece. Mm-hmm. And when a couple of friends of mine and I stepped into the space and said, here's what I will do to help rebuild, mm-hmm. people came out of the woodwork. Suddenly we yeah. had a group of 65 people saying, you know, kind of branching off and doing their different pieces to, you know, gather to support our schools and to gather to, you know, problem solve this issue that was kind of dividing mm-hmm. our community. And it was really exciting to see. And that's, you know, I don't have to lead all the things as a leader. I will lead my piece and gather other folks to, together to lead with me. And it's really, that's different perspectives, different backgrounds. It's really a beautiful sight to see. Yeah. Just have to take that first step. Yeah, you're you're getting toward that gathering and stone suits yeah. that you were speaking of. Yeah, I think that is such a great point that you just need to do your piece. And that comes from knowing what your purpose is, what your strengths, what your passion, what your values are, and when it's time for you to lead and when it might be time for you to step back and, and let others lead. But if everybody right. does that. I think that's absolutely true. And it's I, I feel really conflicted as we're all going back and we're hearing all these messages about, you know, only build back into your life, what you want, be very intentional about Mm -hmm. it. The, the connections we need to be building in our community and the active listening and the raising up voices that haven't been heard as much as they Mm -hmm. should have been. Those are uncomfortable things. So if you sit in a space and think, well, I'm only going to build back what feels good and what I want to do. No, it's, it's building back into our lives. What, we want to see for our future. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that feels uncomfortable. Sometimes that for our children too, sometimes they need a nudge. So we need to lean into maybe those harder spaces 
so that we can see the progress we want to see. Yes. So it gets back toward, you know, it's all about prioritization, right? But it's, Mm -hmm. it's prioritizing based on what kind of legacy you want to live, you know, what kind of purposeful life you want to have. And right. When you're picking those opportunities, you may have to pick some uncomfortable opportunities, but that is the, I've heard that's the price that you pay for a meaningful life. Discomfort is the price you pay for a meaningful life. And I like that too. I would love to cite that quote right now, but I can't remember (laughs) the citation. But But I do think that's, that's a perfect quote. And I do think that there is joy on the other end of that discomfort. Mm -hmm. So if you sit with it and you, and you lean into those, those harder tasks, that purpose, that meaning is what's going to get you through. I think that is another valuable thing we learned during the pandemic season Mm -hmm. that will stick with my family for a lifetime because there's, there were moments of aimlessness and Mm -hmm. purposelessness that we sought to fill with just silly fun stuff, which was fine for a while, but man, it felt vacuous. Mm. And then we found some purposeful, meaningful things to do during the pandemic. And that that's what got us through it. That's <laughs> what we'll take with us afterward. So we spoke about this a little bit, but like we've been talking about the pandemic and the associated shutdowns with it, it gave many of us time to reflect on what's important to us, like we were just talking about. <laughs> Why do you think that developing the skill of empathy should be at the top of that list? Why should that be prioritized, particularly for leaders? We need to get our humanity back. Uh, there's, uh, there's, I, I, like I said, I'm based in the Twin Cities, and this has been a year. Mm-hmm. The pandemic was only a part of what we experienced. Okay. This, and I know the the uprising and the the push for justice was a national, international effort that we can't let go. And empathy is a huge part of that. Being able to see the humanity in one another, being able to raise up that humanity and demand that it get the respect it needs for all people. Yeah, there's that's that's the core reason that mm-hmm. we all need to be focusing mm-hmm. on that as leaders. But there are lots of, there's just a lot of science to back up teaching our kids empathy. And it has to do with social connections. They're going to make better friends as they grow. They're going to be able to manage well, they're going to be able to lead their own, whatever portion of life they want mm-hmm. to be leaders in, they will be better leaders for their ability to recognize what other people need mm-hmm. and what other people are experiencing. It, it decreases stress when we engage in empathetic activities, engage in mm-hmm. service and helping others. It makes you feel better. There's even some evidence that it makes you live longer. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason not to practice empathy. There's, and it's something that it's kind of like mindfulness, which mm-hmm. I know is a buzzword, but you can practice mindfulness while you do everything else in your mm-hmm. daily life. You don't have to schedule time. Empathy is like that. You can yeah. practice it through your normal life. So there's no, uh, there's no barrier. There's no time barrier. There's no reason not to. Yes, that's so true. And, you know, even if, I mean, I don't want to say that the, uh, the ends justify the means, but even if you are just focused on having your kids be successful and, and aren't as concerned about them being kind, there are many articles written in corporate journals that talk about how important empathy is for success, even in the corporate world. So I think depending on what you prioritize, I think any path you take, you're going to end up with empathy being a critically important skill to develop in both your kids and in yourself. And I think that's evident, right? If you... um talk with your kids about who they admire at their school and what leaders they admire in the, in the nation, they'll 
probably be able to identify pretty easily the leaders with better empathy, the, the amazing teachers that have the empathy to, to guide their kids through such challenging times, mm-hmm. the political and business leaders in our lives that, that are kind. And they, mm-hmm. you can tell they, they are more respected. They are able to steer through these rocky times with grace mm-hmm. instead of anger, fear. Yes. So speaking about developing it now that we you know, know mm-hmm. that it's so important. What are some techniques? What are some tactics that you know, we can use to develop that skill in ourselves and in our kids? Absolutely. Well, this is where Doing Good Together lives. This is our space. We talk all the time about the, the kind of Doing Good Together mindset is three real components. Volunteering and service. You're, you mm-hmm. can't help but learn empathy when you reach out to help meet the needs of others, especially when you don't think of them as others Mm -hmm. in quotes, right? We're not helping others. We're helping our community. We're helping people that are going through rocky times because everyone needs help sometimes. Mm -hmm. And to really emphasizing that everyone has something to give. And in this current moment, if your family's feeling abundance, share that abundance in your community and your kids will learn that skill of recognizing need and stepping in when they can. But service can't happen all the time, right? As much as we love family acts of <laughs> service, we're busy and and there's a lot of life that happens in between one service project and, the, and another. So reflection and reading can happen every day in your house. And that's where that curiosity comes in again, right? That I wonder, we talk a lot about 180s, having these conversations. I'm sure you do it all the time in your house too. When our kids come home complaining about some event that happened at school or some kid that did whatever, help them pause, remind them to just take a moment to wonder about what that kid might be going through. Mm -hmm. What are their motivations? That's that empathy muscle at work. And Mm -hmm. that will help them be curious instead of furious when they move through their days and help remind us too. We can learn it right along with them. We all can get better at empathy as Mm -hmm. we grow. So when we say abstractly, empathy has declined. We are in those numbers. (laughs) We can all get better at it. And then the third component is books. Obviously, I I love children's books like Stone Soup. I think a great picture book has just as much to offer adults and teens as it does little kids. And there are so many beautiful ones coming out right now. They're actually, there's just, there's just a wild amount of them. We're adding new ones to the website weekly at this point, just because they're, there's topical, challenging issues that they're covering. So yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And every time you read, do those 180s again. What Mm -hmm. what was that character feeling? How would that have been? What would you have done in their place? Would you have made those same choices? And practicing thinking through how other people are experiencing the world will let them do it in the wild. They Mm -hmm. will be able to be empathetic throughout their day. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I, first of all, if you haven't been to Doing Good Together's website and checked out all the book lists that you have compiled, it's it's amazing. So I encourage all listeners to, to do that. But second of all, I, I think just the simple practice of asking those reflection questions, even if you're just watching a TV show, you know, sometimes right. you may be, let's, let's just, would you have acted like that? Would you have, you know, why did, why might that character have done that? Or, you know, have you experienced a similar situation and, and what would you have done? Yeah. My, my son is nine, he's almost 10 now. And we're, we're getting into a lot of questions about why, why are they dressing that character like that? Do you think she's comfortable 
you know, fighting that battle in that low cut. So I think that's good. That's good. <laughs> Which is so, but it does like, it makes him more aware of gender issues. And mm-hmm. some of these, like, I, I don't mind him watching that show, but I do think we need to call out some of what we're seeing and, and, you know, yeah. Asking those questions, even during movies, we listen to a lot of podcasts in my house mm-hmm. too. So yeah, like some of those kid podcasts are great for teaching empathy. Yes. Have you ever listened to short and curly? No, I haven't. It's a philosophy podcast from Australia that's just delightful for kids. And it talks them through really challenging ethical dilemmas. And then they have moments for you to pause and chat about it. And so when we're driving places, often we will listen to those. Oh, that's great. I'm going to do that. We have a very long drive coming up. We're we're doing a four-week road trip with 96 hours of driving. So that that might be a great time to get into short and curly. Totally. Yep. There's, there's a nice backlist of, of podcasts. You can go oh, dig, dig through the archives. <laughs> I'll definitely check that out. Well, great. Well, this has been so much fun talking about empathy and empathy is one of my favorite topics, but don't want to keep you too long. So just wanted to check in to see if there's anything going on at Doing Good Together this summer that you wanted to let everyone know about. I would love to announce that our family service fairs are back, but we're still trying to get our head Uh around what family service fairs will be allowed to look like in the fall. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we have kind of reimagined our membership. So we have a classroom membership feature now that is offering lessons, empathy building lessons once a month to anybody that wants to bring them to their Girl Scout troops or their school Uh classroom or faith groups. We've got a lot of faith groups signing up. It's really exciting to connect with the people that are signing up through that also and just find Uh out how they're how they're teaching empathy and um, what challenges they're, they're confronting. Cause we'll be, we'll be adding more materials all the time to help, mm-hmm. help people get empathy tools in the hands of kids, practice service on the spot, and then take that. I know, you know, it to kindness homework home. So those kids can lead at home and lead their families in acts of service, which every kid loves to feel, feel that little boost of energy when they get to lead their family doing something. So oh, that's what we're all about. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. And just find that at doinggoodtogether.org. I think you have a pop-up on there that takes you right to the information about the memberships. We don't (laughs) usually do those pop-ups, but yeah, you won't be able to miss it. There's a become a member button on the website. Just visit doinggoodtogether.org and you'll be able to miss this. Plus it's got all of our free Big Heart of Families toolkit. So we've got some fun new projects for the summer, including a seed bomb project that we created with the extension service at the University of Minnesota, but it can be done anywhere, but it's, it's really fun if you want to attract more monarchs to, to a barren space in your community. Oh, neat, neat. I'll definitely look into that. That's great. Well, as I mentioned, we have a new question for season two that we're asking all of our guests on Moms That Lead. And it is, what's the one leadership lesson that you feel most passionate about passing on, whether it be to your kids or to people that you lead? What's that? If you could only pass on one leadership lesson, what would it be? Oh, That is a hard one. I think recognizing what you have to give and stepping into that space where you can be a leader at whatever Mm -hmm. capacity you have is, is really important. And I try to teach my kids that even now, so they can lead in in their spaces at, as children, as young, young people too. But I think it's very easy, especially 
I think for my teen girls to feel sort of humbled and unready. And I think that's why this is such a great podcast. And I think mm-hmm. we as women need to make sure we're reminding ourselves and teaching our daughters that they have a lot to give and be, don't be afraid to step into those spaces and be a leader and do lead those, even if it's just a conversation you feel needs to happen. And that's mm-hmm. I have my 16 year old. I just saw her kind of overcome her fear of bringing up a challenging thing in a classroom mm. setting and she did it and she felt great afterwards. So the more we can relearn that lesson, the better we'll be. I love that. And something that is relevant, you know, no matter where you're leading and it also something that I think we all need to be reminded of every single day. <laughs> We're going to just load our our wrist with wristbands, I think, of things we need to be <laughs> we'll reminded of. of them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but that would definitely, definitely be on it. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, Thanks for having me on. This has been really fun. Thank you for coming on and look forward to continuing to watch everything that happens with Doing Good Together, keeping up on all the great content and projects and opportunities to build that empathy that you are sharing. So thanks again, Sarah. Wasn't that amazing? Are you inspired to do all you can to lead toward a more compassionate community? I know I am. Here are the takeaways. Number one, as leaders, if we can't gather and engage our communities and overcome the mistrust, we shrink our ability to lead, to act purposefully, and to move forward. Number two, if we, as parents, care most about raising kind kids— more than successful kids. We need to show it in what we choose to praise and discipline. Number three, we don't have to lead all things. We just need to lead our peace and gather others to lead with us so that we gather different perspectives and different backgrounds. Number four, as we start rebuilding our schedules after COVID-19, put back in not just the easy or comfortable activities, but those that help to create the progress and future that you want to see. And number five, strengthening your empathy muscles and those of your kids through volunteering, reflection, and reading helps develop highly sought-after leadership skills. What action are you going to take to lead to a more compassionate community this week? Tell us all about it on Instagram at WeAreMomsThatLead. And as always... Until next time, lead with love.